Hi, this is Dana Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling, where we explore the lives of people who have been called to various types of ministries in their churches and their communities. Today, we're here with Francis Elridge, music director. Introducing you to local church and community leaders, The Calling. Welcome, Francis. We're so glad that you're here with us today. When most people are slowing down in their lives, you are going strong, and it's obvious that you have a strong call. Being a music director, a youth minister, and servant extraordinaire, how did you grow up learning to give and to serve so dramatically? I think that it was a way of life. My mother and father were both very giving. Daddy was a royal mail carrier. He saw to everybody on his route. You know, this was a time when there were no phones, uh, very little lines of communication in some of the hills and valleys that he drove in. He was the lifeline for communication. Many times he came home with prescriptions for my mother to take and get refilled for these people. I don't remember if you are, and you're probably not old enough to remember when they sent out a lot of samples of things. Mm. He would gather the samples and take them to the most needy family. And every Christmas, uh, he would send a list of people who needed things. And my mother, and of course, mother always had to do all the shopping and the legwork. And they would supply a lot of children with a lot of things that were in need. So I grew up with it being a way of life to give to other people and to serve other people. What an example you saw in your parents, your father, not just a mail carrier, but almost a social worker and minister himself. It was a mission for him. You know, a lot of people just had jobs. That mail route was his mission. Did you grow up in a typical family? Did you have siblings? I had an older sister okay. who tortured me, you know, every day of my life. <laughs> Is she listening now or will she be? I, I will probably send the link to her. Yes. So that she does. <laughs> you know, she told me that I was adopted. You know, the usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Some wonderful stuff that she yes. she did. To yes. Me. Big sister privilege there. Oh, Yes. So you grew up in this area, is that correct? I grew up in the western end of Putnam County, a small community called Silver Point. Okay. I was raised on a farm. Everything was very close, connected. You know, there's not much that I could do without being told on. Oh, very nice. You know. So was, did you stay in trouble a lot? Not when I was young. Yeah. You were older before I, you started getting well, into trouble? Well, most of the times I knew how to play the game. <laughs> I was aware of all of this, so I just stayed away from, you know, if I was going to do something, it was not going to be anywhere where anybody could tell on me. Got it. Did you go to school in this area as well? I went to elementary school in Silver Point and then at Boma and then ended up in Baxter, and I went to high school at at Baxter. Mm -hmm. And I spent, I walked on campus my freshman year at University of Tennessee and found out that I was a very, very little fish in a big pond, and it just didn't fit. So I came back to Tennessee Tech. And got my degree in secondary education. I was certified to teach math. Wow. And then something led you to music. What led you to music? I think, well, I can't say that just something. I was born singing. Oh, okay. I don't ever remember not singing. Do you have a favorite song? I have lots of them. Really? Could you sing a little bit of one for us? In the morning when I rise, in the morning. 
Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Wow, that's beautiful. So there was a time in your life when you felt a call to Jesus. How um, did that happen? I was a very young girl when, of course, I grew up in a church. We went to church every time the door was open. It was a given that I would become a Christian. And then I finally, you know, felt that calling from God to make that move in my life to accept him mm. and to be his servant. And, of course, there's a growing and when you leave your home and you f- leave your mother and father's faith and you get out on your own and you start developing your own faith. And I started doing a little more of that in college. I was very active in the Baptist Student Union at, at Tech. And that was really the very first choir that I sang in. We didn't have music ed in school okay. when I was in school. So in that process, I started taking voice lessons at Tech. And it started building in my senior year at Tech. I knew that there was a point when I came, I said, I know I have to sing. So I enrolled at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, oh, and wow. received my bachelor's of church music and my master of church music there. Now, what year was this? I graduated from Tech in 67. I graduated from seminary in 72. I can imagine at seminary in 1972, there were not a whole lot of women. Well, we were either in music or in Christian ed. There were one or two buck in the system that they were in the divinity school. But as long as we stayed on the music and the educational side of the campus, we were okay. Okay. It was not something that was encouraged. In fact, there's so many places that I went and it was mainly men who asked me this. Say, well, now, honey, what are you doing in seminary? Are you here looking for a preacher husband? My reply was generally, no, I pray every day to make him secular. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that being a pastor's wife would not be something I could do. I would have him fired within two days. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there was always that little thing. And, you know, if you are called to do something, if God has equipped you and he has called you, He will provide the service. After a short break, we'll have more conversation with Frances Elridge. I'm Dana Hornby, and this is The Calling. Today, we're speaking with Frances Elridge. Frances, you were telling us that you had studied at seminary in Dallas. And where did life take you after your seminary education? Almost nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) I came home, and there was a year where I did not work. No doors were open to me. But during that year, I lived with my sister. My brother-in-law was professional military, and he was in Vietnam. So I stayed with her and her three children. The very unique thing about that was I found that I was actually, because of everything that I did when I was in school, because I sang in everything, I worked, studied, that I was probably physically exhausted. Okay. 
But during that year, I got to spend some very special time with my niece, Nana. She came home from school one day and told her mother, she says, you know, I I tried to be the best kind of person I can, but I just don't know how to become a Christian. Oh, wow. So my sister wanted me to sit down and talk with her. And I sat down and talked with her. And she accepted Jesus as her personal Mm -hmm. Savior at that point. And I told her, me, Jane, I said, take her to uh, the pastor to talk with somebody else as well. Two weeks before my niece graduated from high school, she died from Mm -hmm. a form of bacterial meningitis. Mm -hmm. So I have one of the most special memories of my life from that year. Absolutely. And then I went to uh, First Baptist in Monterey as music director and youth director. That's quite a job, music and youth. You know, they coordinate pretty well. Okay. Because you're sometimes with youth, your biggest, one of your biggest things is music. That is a very good rallying thing. And it was a small enough church that it was not too daunting. You know, it was really, it was a very good thing for me. And then after First Baptist, where were you? Well, while I was First Baptist, I met my husband. Oh, tell us about your husband. My husband, Harry Eldridge, uh, worked at Oak Ridge. He had two children, Mark and Jerry. They were teenagers at this time. His first wife had died very young from complications with diabetes. Oh, no. And he had been a widower for 12 years. Wow. And we started dating on January the 1st. And we got married on June 21st. Mm-hmm. You fell in love quickly. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> we were old enough. We didn't have, you know, we knew at that point what was going on. Yeah. And it was it was a kind of thing that as I was with him, I knew that this was the man that God had brought me to. Oh, that's great. You mentioned that you could never have been a pastor's wife. How did your husband react to being a, a music minister and youth minister's husband? There were times it was a little difficult because we would go places and I would be the one that was on stage. I would be the one that people would see or hear. And sometimes they didn't always treat him well. Oh, no. You know, it was kind of like, you know, you sit over here. You sit you sit over oh, the back. dear. But he really appreciated the work that I did and respected it. He was my best listener. If I was having a hard time with anything, all I had to do was to find him and look at him and know that there was somebody there always pulling for me, always appreciating what I did, always critiquing, and always willing to say, you're not doing the right thing. You need to pay attention to something else, or you need to do something a different way. So he became not only my husband, he became my rock. And you uh, married a whole family. I did. You you were... Uh, Jerry was 14, Mark was 18, and I adopted them when we got married. That's wonderful. And we were both old enough that Red did not want any more children. Mm-hmm. I say Red. That's what I know him by. Most people... Some people knew him as Harry, but most people know him as Red. Okay. And... I was not at the point where I knew that I just didn't want to have a child immediately because of Mark and Jerry. I I thought that we needed to meld a family together first. Right. 
and it worked out fine because I am notorious for adopting people. It seems like there's always some out there that are like daughters, sons, granddaughters, grandsons, close friends. You know, my life has never been empty. You have a lot of love to give. I think God endows all of us with a lot of love to give. Mm. Uh, We mistake ourselves when we think that if we give love away, that it diminishes, but instead it's very fruitful. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. So you and your family then became a a family of ministers almost. The the whole family is uh, in ministry when one person is in ministry. So to speak, you know, the kids kind of went their way with it and after I left First Baptist in Monterey, I went to the Homestead Baptist Church in, oh, okay. in um, Crossville. And then after that, I taught for four years at Tennessee Tech. Oh, wow. Part-time, okay. taught voice. And uh, by the time I got to that point, there was beginning a change in the Baptist Church that was not conducive for women. And, you know, I didn't know where I was going there until... The Cumberland Presbyterian Church here in Cookville called me to be their music director. Oh, wow. You were called in a different direction. In a different direction. If somebody closes the door, I can guarantee you that God will open another one. And I was there for about seven years. I loved that church. Good good group of people. Has a thriving music ministry, a beautiful ministry. It does. At that church. Yeah. After a short break, more conversation with Francis Elridge. Our guest today is Frances Elridge, and she would like to share a motivational moment. After 37 years of marriage, I lost my husband. That would have been a good time to have stopped and say, I can't do anymore. I've lost the love of my life. I have lost some of my motivation. But I was very lucky. For the first, the last year of his life, he spent teaching me how to live without him. I said, what will I do without you? And he said, you will travel. You will become more active in your church. You will become more active in your communication. And he said to me, have a good life. And I have. I will always miss him. There's a part of me that is gone. But there's so much of me that is free to do what God means me to do because I have known such fantastic love and support in my life, and he still is doing that for me. Uh, Growing up, I was taught, always by my mother, if I said I can't, I was told the story of the little train that says, I think I can, I think I can, you know, I'm sure everybody out there has heard that one. I do not think in the Christian life that there should be the statement, I can't. You might say, I don't want to, but if God calls us, He equips us. And when he says to go, we have to remember, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Francis, I typically close my show with the top five questions of the day. So I will ask you five questions. It will be like a rapid round. And you have the option to plead the fifth on one of the questions. So are you ready? Let's go. What's on your playlist? My favorite song of all times 
is Johnny Mathis, The Twelfth of Never. There's never been a piece more romantic than that piece of music. Wow. Okay. That's wonderful. Um, question two. If there were a gag reel of your life, what would be on it? <laughs> um, boy, that's loaded. I just think my whole life might be a gag reel because, you know, through the years I've learned to laugh at myself and I've done a lot of things that I've had to turn in and laugh at. Okay. If you were arrested for a crime, what would your family say the crime was? Really getting in somebody's face or going after somebody who was abusing either a child or a dog, especially a dog. Okay. And if there were a movie of your life, who would you want to star in the role of Frances Elridge? I really like Shirley MacLaine. Oh. She has so much spice and vinegar and is such a good actress. I know that we're no no near close to what it are that, you know, that we can be as people. But she just has a way of capturing people. Nice. I like that you describe her with spice and vinegar. I love that. Okay, last question. What is the cleanest joke you know? Oh, I guess it's clean. <laughs> uh, pastor in the church was asking his congregation, I'm going to, or almost his five question things. And, okay. And I will make it short. He was going through different hymns and or he was going through different emotions and having his congregation to respond with what they felt, or they, a hymn that met that thing. So he got to the very end of it, and he said, Sex. There was silence in the church, absolute silence, until one lady in the very back, older lady, went, Precious memories. <laughs> Thank you, Francis, for sharing the story of your calling today on The Calling. Thank you.